This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Food insecurity is a robber of time, energy, and hope. It steals away from a person the ability to focus on the future. Food insecurity embedded in an impoverished lifestyle is much like sitting in a hospital waiting room, trapped by the circumstances that are truly beyond a person's control, and waiting is the only thing to do. We sit, we wait, we try to not get annoyed at all that is going on around us, while hoping, even willing, good news to walk through the door. The person in the waiting room can't leave, can't really help their loved ones, can't fix the situation by doing more of the same of what they've been doing, and can't wish themselves somewhere else. Reality in a waiting room is not your friend. It is not a comfort, but instead it takes away your liberty, your belief in yourself, and most importantly, your hope for a better tomorrow. The circumstances demand your full attention all at the time while you are there. Food insecurity does the same. Food insecurity as a product of poverty gives you the pain instead of comfort, makes you weak instead of giving you strength, and food insecurity gives you more fear that things will only get worse instead of a hope for a better tomorrow. Let's be candid. Food alone is not the solution to poverty. It is, however, the first steps toward a self-sufficient life. When hunger comes off the table, the ability to focus beyond the current crisis becomes clearer. When the food is available, worry is replaced with comfort for parents and grandparents. Over 50% of the food our network distributes is fresh, And whether it's in a box, a bundle, or a bag, it may taste like potatoes, but it smells like hope. That's the power of food. Jerry Brisson joins me to talk about the power of food and the impact it has on people faced with scarcity on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson joins me in the WJR studio. Jerry, welcome back. It is great to be back. So much is being made right now today. Not that we try to date the shows, but somehow food assistance has been drug into the conversation about the debt ceiling in Washington, D.C. I was just there a few days ago. It's pretty intense, and it's pretty ugly. And, you know, like, there is a process to talk about food assistance programs, and it's called the Farm Bill. But we somehow have allowed for this to be pulled out and used as a negotiating tool in the, ceil- in the, in the debt ceiling conversations happening between, you know, our legislators and congresspeople in Washington, D.C., it's a little disturbing to me because I know how this story ends 
and that if there is less food assistance, that means there's more stress on state budgets, but particularly on the Charitable Food Network. And the backbone for that, of course, is America's food banks. You know, we had uh, a very smart and fantastic gentleman by the name of Rob Fowler on our show uh, several times. And, uh, and Rob said something that, that we have repeated, and I'm going to repeat it again, and that is policy decisions made quickly are rarely good. <laughs> right? Now, I'm sure I'm saying that not exactly the way he said it. Actually, the, he might have said it better there. Yeah. So. <laughs> but but the, the fact of the matter is the debt ceiling is an urgent issue. Right. It is something that needs consideration. It, it needs careful thought. And when you start looking at the impact of the government budget, and it is substantial, um, you, you start and you start to say, well, we have to make a decision now. So these are the things we're going to throw on the table to, to look at cutting because you know what? It's urgent. We have to do it now. No, it, it's the worst time to make good decisions when you have to make the decision right now, regardless of what the long-term consequences of that might be. And of course, it's the long-term consequences that that cause the most suffering, right? It's not the short-term, what are people going to do today, tomorrow, and the next day? It's what happens in the long-term when you make a decision about the debt ceiling that has nothing to do with need, it has nothing to do with impact, it has nothing to do with looking carefully at weighing all of the options in front of you, because, you know, that's really hard work. It takes time. There's lots of people with different opinions, and people complain about lobbyists, but the honest truth is lobbyists are often the most educated people in the room about a particular issue. Now, does that mean people, you know, don't spin things a certain way to manipulate things? Of course they do, right? But nonetheless, that's not the majority of what's happening. What's happening is people want the legislature and the Congress and the the uh, the administrative branch and anyone who's willing to listen, they want them to really understand the impact of if you decide this, here's what could happen. When it comes to food assistance, we know that if you cut federal food assistance, especially if it's for a short-term problem-solving initiative that really hasn't been thoughtfully worked out, you are going to create tremendous suffering in the, in the community for no good reason. For no good reason. Now, does that mean I'm saying balancing the budget isn't a good thing? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying let's look at what we really have to do. Let's let's face what our priorities need to be, make good decisions and good policy, rather than a knee-jerk reaction to what we need right now, especially if it's only for political talking points. Well, if 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 that very well said. I'm asking people to think deeper. And that is to say, what does the debt ceiling, America's ability to pay its bills, have to do with people having access to emergency food? I'm, I'm going to venture out on a limb here and say they're not connected. <laughs> so then it doesn't belong in this conversation. It, it, it belongs in another conversation. How, how I'm willing and want to have the conversation, how do we make government programs better 
more effective, more efficient, so that they fulfill their purpose. Because when that happens, it takes less, it, uh, it, it reduces the stress on the emergency food network. So you want to have that conversation? I'm your guy. I'm buying the first round. We can have that conversation. But this conversation about America's ability to pay its own bills and, and, and people having access to emergency food, uh, no, that, they don't match. I think what frustrates people, uh, especially people who are more fiscally conservative, is to believe that there's government waste and that we continue to borrow money to pay for that waste. I, I really do think that's what frustrates uh, people who are more financially conservative. And I, I probably share some of that frustration. You know, I think that we've got to be looking at waste and we've got to be looking at not just more but better. And we talk about this on our show, on our show all the time. You can't just get more and more. You've got to do both more and better. And so I understand that people want to force the issue of waste in any way they can because it's not... It's not something we're very successful at in our in our country, really. We we continue to run up debts for a lot of different reasons. Some of those reasons are very good. Some are complicated. And some do perpetuate waste that we think could be better, right? The question is, how do you go about managing that conversation? And some people will tell you, well, you take every political shot you can. You only get so many, so let's take this shot now. We have an urgent issue. It will be consequential if it doesn't get solved. So this is our opportunity to push through the value of fiscal conservative behavior, which I totally understand and probably appreciate. But when it comes at the cost of the people we serve, who we know their stories, and we know this isn't the most wasteful government program at the very least, um, let's really have a conversation about what it is we're trying to do, be honest about what our options are, and not throw the poorest people in our community under the bus. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, we talked about in the monologue, and I want us to pick it up on the other side of this break here, about how, how food insecurity steals the best of people. And, you know, certainly when there is... We, we started the show by talking about the debt ceiling, and, and that's because it takes a resource away from people who really need it. And if we want them to get better, they're only going to get better with more, not with less. So I think it's a principle. Look, I worked for uh, Haley Barber. Nobody gets physical cons- being a physical conservative better than he does, and you don't get to work for Haley if, you know, if you don't ascribe to that as well. So I'm there with you. I got you on that, this is just not the right place for that conversation. He's Jerry Brisson, I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're gonna be back with you to pick up this edition of Food First Michigan in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for being with us today. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, here on Food First Michigan, heard on WJR, 9 o'clock on Sunday night, and at the fbcmich.org. That's the Food Bank Council of Michigan's website. You can download any podcast. It's also on uh, podcasts with Apple and 
iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio, and there's one for that kind of phone you use. <laughs> well, God knows. I listen to it on my computer, so I'm not even sure. And I get them right off our website. So Google Play or whatever that thing is. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, Jerry, I'm... I'm I want to get your reaction to the analogy I used in the monologue. I don't normally pull the monologue into the show very much. Hopefully it's, people can see the theme here. But when I read this idea of, this, of, of a food-insecure individual is trapped in a waiting room, it, it just seemed to fit. It resonated with me having been that person. I just want to know, get your reaction to that, and and more than anything else, I want I want you to unpack for our listeners the power that this food has in a household and the difference that it makes. Yeah. So, if the person is sitting in the waiting room, and you know your 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 idea about the best way to help them is to tell them all the things that they should have done so they couldn't so they wouldn't be here now. It's not really helpful at that moment, right? I mean, so you walk in the waiting room and say, well, what happened? You got in a car accident. Well, when did you change the tires? Are the brakes good? You know, but that's really what happens to people, right? When they when they find themselves needing a little bit of help, the, the noise they get around them really really isn't helpful at that moment. That doesn't mean that isn't good advice. It doesn't mean it isn't helpful at some point in time. But when you're in the waiting room, is probably not the best time to be hearing that kind of advice. Very interesting point when you think about our first segment after the monologue and the conversation about emergency food and, and food assistance being tied to the debt. The timing... I'm time. Uh, you're, the, yeah. you're saying now's not the time to talk about how bad the brakes are. Right. Right. And we do need to have that conversation. Right. And so, you know, again, I, I think about when a person can't feed their family, it is it is more like drowning. Right. It's more like drowning. You you are trying to get a, a breath, a mouthful of air so you can make it to the next thing, whatever that next thing is, right? And so when a person is drowning, what do you do? What do you do? At that point, you don't go, you should have got a boat. <laughs> Why don't you have a life preserver on? That's that's not what you do when a person is drowning, right? What you do is you you say, okay, let's let's deal with the immediate circumstances that's that's creating this urgency. Let's let's deal with those immediate circumstances. So that's really when we think about taking away air from a drowning person. It just it doesn't make any sense to do that as a solution for something else, mm. right? When we talk about if you're if you're food insecure and you're hungry, you only have one problem. What we're really talking about is that dynamic of drowning, right? When you're drowning, you need air. That's what you need. You, no other advice is going to be well received at that moment. When you can't feed your kids, it is like that. You're not ready to receive other advice. Does it mean you don't need it? No. But that's not the time, right? So so that's one of the reasons why our work is so important. We enter people's life at a time when they are urgently 
needing someone to just walk with them through this moment because the truth is many people, once they get to the other side of that moment, have the ability to put their life together or at least a significant piece of their life together. That's how we talk about this being an investment because we know that people are amazing. They manage an incredible amount of difficulty in their life with amazing facility. And so we walk alongside them and that is what they need right now. So getting back to whenever, whenever there's a discussion about increasing or taking away from federal food programs, the important thing is to be very sober about the impact of that change, right? What difference will it make? How will it matter to people in their lives? Who is it going to affect? And let's make sure we're very clear about that before making any decision around food support for people who need it. It's, it's really important that we are very conscientious because in many cases, these are some of our lowest income community members who have the least to fall back on when something happens in their life that takes away resources. You know, Jerry, recently we did a show with uh, Senator Kristen McDonald Rivet, and we talked in that show about not only her own lived experience with food insecurity, but we, we talked about a couple of things that have direct impact here in Michigan. Um, and that is our ability to come alongside, as you say, um, the families who are struggling. She, uh, she has led the efforts to pass the EITC bill, which is a work is a tax credit for working families. Boy, this seems like something both sides of the aisle could get behind and pretty much have here in Michigan. But we've talked about some innovative ideas uh, on this show. We haven't really fleshed them out. Probably need to do that. We'll probably have to get a couple people on this show that are smarter than you and I. But, I mean, to think about uh, expanding an EIT, the principle of EITC, beyond just uh, what it is today, a percentage of your, your taxes paid in income, but looking at people that are, are, are below the self-sufficiency standard and having them create a zero tax bracket for those. Man, what a difference maker. That's this, these kind of conversations. I'm not saying they're good, they're bad, or anything. I don't know enough. I just want to have the conversation about what good policies can help lift people out of poverty, away from food insecurity, so that they can, they can become who and what. But you said it, as long as you're focused on what am I going to eat today, what am I going to give my kids, you really do only have one problem. Your, your mind is consumed by that toxic stress. I mean, you don't even have to be in that desperate of a situation to appreciate what that feels like. If you missed breakfast, or God help you if you missed breakfast and lunch, how are you at dinner? <laughs> I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about somebody else. The the fact is we're we're very emotionally tied into uh into the the part of our life that's about nourishing ourselves, right? I mean, we very it's a very emotional thing when you're not food insecure, let alone if you're missing on average three and a half meals a week and you say, "Well, three and a half meals, that's a day plus a little more." 
Right. right? That's a full day a week of food plus a little more. Well, I mean, you know, you could say, I mean, yeah, well, you could make it a day a week without food. Can you really? I mean, okay, so so is that fair to ask of a five-year-old? Right. I just, I mean, that's why we just have to be very, very aware of who is actually missing the food when these decreases come. And, and what does it really mean? What does it mean for our schools? What does it mean, you know, I, I well, again, it just seems so obvious to me that that's not where you want to make those um, cuts. It, it, it's like not there, not there. So I'm just going to harken back to my statistics class in, in back in school and say that averages are for lazy people. <laughs> I just My professor is ringing in my ears right now. So the problem with three and a half meals is the average that a food insecure person uh, misses per week. Right. Is it doesn't average. Right. It It bunches. Yeah, that's right. So they'll have enough resources for two to three weeks of the month, but that last week, all that missed meals bunch up into that week. Yeah, that's right. And it's not a day and a meal. It's five days. Yeah. In a row. In a row. Yeah. And you can't, you can't survive like that. My family doesn't want me to miss one meal. That's well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, true, you know, that, that whole, I mean, again, we've talked about it on the show in the early years where they make commercials about people being hangry. Right. That's right. You know, and, uh, and I think everybody at WJR is pretty happy that I didn't actually use the name of the company this time when I <laughs> when I talked about it. But that's the truth. Averages, averages, math is for lazy people. And so we got to take a quick break here, or we're going to be um, out of time completely for the show. So let's do that. We'll come back with another segment or two. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're your host here for Food First Michigan. Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. Jerry, we're, we're, we've talked a, a lot about, you know, kind of the situation we're in right now, but, you know, something that is really driving me is, is looking at the impact, the difference the food makes. When people get food, when, when we're able to get food to people who can't get to the food, like, like in home delivery, that's an innovation that's, that's happening here in Michigan. Uh, when people come to distributions, when they go to the choice pantries and they're able to choose what they want, I mean, the power, the difference that that makes, man, I remember those days and, and I, I, the, the food is powerful. You know, I think one of the things that that um, we're working harder and harder on is to be able to quantify that as much as possible. 
right? Because we know from a story after story after story, we know what a difference it makes to somebody right now, right in front of us. We know. You can see the gratitude in their face. You, you can hear them talk about how life changed at home, how it reduced the stress, how, how their kids were so happy when they got this food, how they were cooking meals together. I mean, we can tell these stories. Um, and yet we have to keep pushing ourselves to show actually there's more than just stories right there's actual um broader types of improvements that happen when we address these these basic needs issues of families now you know um i when i started in this work some 30 some years ago People had to drive all the way from, you know, well, I'm not far away. They were driving 60 or 65 miles to go to the nearest pantry. Hmm. And that's true. Now there's, there's some place for people to get food within two or three miles of wherever they live in southeast Michigan. And we're trying to do the same things in every community and in every county in the state of Michigan. Well, how do you do that? Well, one step at a time, right? One step at a time. And we don't, we don't give ourselves enough credit for the tremendous progress that's already been made in terms of making food accessible, and not just any food, fresh food. Hmm. You know, Michigan produce. We, you know, w- when we talk about milk and produce that people want the most, these things are w- more available now than they've ever been. So you say, well, has it? made a difference in the bigger picture of our community always hard to get around uh it's hard to get at because there's so many other things moving up and down in the middle of a pandemic how much do you expect people to be able to do on their own (laughs) Mm -hmm. right i mean there's so many factors and it can be so um difficult to to latch on to all of the things that create food insecurity in our community people say well we want to we want to keep driving toward the root causes really really important but let's remember we've come a long long way from where we were 30 years ago and we will continue to make progress one step at a time step by step by step until we really can and will have a food secure community I, I, it, it will happen in my lifetime. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe not in your career lifetime, but very possibly within your lifetime. And it's because we know the difference it makes. You, If you talk to school teachers, if you talk to school administrators, they will tell you, feed every child that comes to school and we will have better results in school. So... Years ago, we did a show and I did a monologue about how often or how fast knowledge has doubled. And, you know, it took like a hundred years or a thousand years in the beginning, you know, and now it's like doubling every few years. Well, that's no different than what you just said. We've learned a lot about how not to do this work. (laughs) And we've learned more about how to do this work. Ten years ago, only 10% of the places that distribute emergency food had refrigeration. Wow. Now it's more like 60%. Right. It's not 100%. 
right? Because some places are just too small, or they or they they just don't have the the infrastructure that they need to to place a, a freezer or a cooler someplace, right? There's still a lot of community organizations that just don't have room for a freezer or a cooler. But you know, you consider how much of a difference that has made to getting people healthy food the food that their doctor is saying this is the food you should be having that's what my doctor is saying anyway right i mean you know and so you you add up all of these changes and it really has made the fabric of community significantly better now we still have work to do but it's important to celebrate these successes when when we we spend time knowing the difference we've made. It encourages the continued work that still needs to be done because you say, wow, we got this much done. It feels good. We can do more. We can do more. Together, we can do more. Right. You have a saying. I'm putting you on the spot here because you have no idea what I'm going to ask you. But you have a saying about innovation. Innovation. Innovation is the... Uh, the enemy of efficiency. Yes. Right? They fight each other, right? Because anytime you do something new, you're not going to do it your best. You're going to fumble some things. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to learn some things you didn't know before. So, so efficiency is when you do things at the highest speed, the highest quality, and the lowest cost. Right? right. It's when you really can just kick it. And innovation is when, how are we going to fix something we've never done before? And you don't know those answers, and so you're not doing it at the highest speed, at the lowest cost, right? You're, you're, you're making some mistakes. So, so, you know, corporations, companies, they have budgets and investment into innovation, knowing what you just said. We're not going to do this with great efficiency, but we're going to learn a lot. Yeah. Some of the things we're going to learn how to do, and some things we're going to learn how we shouldn't do right that's over here it's a whole different set of skill set it's a whole bunch of people over here that are you know tinking around and learning and 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 discovering and invest it is an investment meanwhile over here is operations and they're really good at what they do they're getting food to people where the people are at and they're what are the three things? They're efficient. They're cost. You you you. you <laughs> they're all those things yeah. that you just said. Man, they are like totally. Op- I mean, even personality-wise, and the types of people that you need to work in those areas. Here's the challenge. I think nonprofits are so, and food banks in particular are so, because they have to be challenged by the need that's in the community. They're trying to be the most efficient that they can be. That's why 94, 96 cents of every dollar goes to the distribution of food, right? It's very little of our money that people give to the food banks actually go to administration or to raise more money or whatever. This is, this is really about getting food to people. But I think you have to, leaders like yourself have to make a conscious investment and not only what we're doing today to address the need, but what are we doing to get better for tomorrow? That's right. Everything we've done, as amazing as it is, still hasn't solved the problem. So that means we have to do some things different. 
right? And we have to do some things we've never done before. We have to think about partnerships differently. But this is the power of our network. You know, just in Southeast Michigan, we have 600 partners that we work with. All of them bring good ideas. We have the literally hundreds of thousands of people that we serve that bring us ideas every day. We talk to the people we serve, right? They, they bring us ideas every day. We keep learning. We keep growing. And, uh, and that's what makes the food banking, the whole system of food banking, unique. I think it's one of the most, um, uh, how am I going to say this? We do a lot of listening and learning. And that is one of the greatest benefits. You know, you've said, Dr. Phil, that one of the most important uh, things that food banks deal in is trust. Yeah. Right. And why is it that communities trust us? And I think it's because we listen and we respond when we when we hear how we could do better and what we could do better. And we listen to a lot of different people and we keep growing and learning. It's what makes us a good partner for for government. It's what makes us a good partner for community. Right. We listen and we learn. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I just think that that's a really uh, one of the reasons where we are as efficient as we are is getting lots of food to lots of people is because we've been willing to to learn and you learn you know by listening and so i think that that but at the same time we've been willing to invest in well what don't we know yeah and what you know what do we what 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 is the saying? You know, it's not what you know; it's what you know for sure that will get you in trouble. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that you know, it's not we're challenging the status, we're challenging ourselves in this learning. Is this is this the best way? Are mobile distributions the best way to do food? Well, in some cases, absolutely, but in other cases, there's no distribution of any type that works. I mean, we have to figure out how to get food to people who can't get to the food, right. like the disabled community, the seniors, even children. So how are we innovating that? Well, we're doing that with partnerships like with DoorDash. And so we're, in, we're, we're able to get food to people in a home delivery situation. So where a mass distribution wouldn't, doesn't meet their need. And I, we only know that because we listened. And and you listen, you learn, you listen, you learn. I, I want to bring this right back to how we started the conversation w with the debt ceiling. You know, when something urgent like that happens and we're, and we're not listening and learning, instead we're pushing through an agenda based on a principle or an ideology, that's when things go haywire. We know, based on our work, you have got to listen and learn to make good decisions and to make decisions that have lasting impact and make permanent positive changes in community. You can't do it knee-jerk. You have got to go through the process of listening and learning. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, Jerry, and uh, we're not going to be knee-jerk about it. It's actually planned. <laughs> And uh, we're going to do that, and we're going to come back and wrap up this edition of the Jerry and Phil, I mean, of Food First Michigan <laughs> here on WJR. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. We're going to wrap up this show 
Uh, Jerry, I'm just, I really appreciated your thoughts today. Well, right back at you, Doctor. You know, that's we're in this work for a reason, and a lot of the reason is we're very passionate about it. We, we've we learned a lot over the years. Both of us are a lot grayer than we uh, were uh, back in the day, right? Uh, right. And so there's a little bit of learning that comes with that, and it's nice to share uh, with our listeners who so we so appreciate you who who continue to be with us. It's it's really tens of thousands of people now, and that's kind of amazing. Uh, but we know that it's people who really care deeply about this issue and who would like to see it solved. Well, I think we count our entire staff and team. You talked about 600. Uh, partners in Southeast Michigan, 2,800 statewide that all want to come together. And we dream of a day that we can get all of them in a room together and have a conversation and talk about ways that we can be better together. It's time for a little food for thought. It's said that a friend is someone who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. The fact of the matter is, folks, policymaking that removes access to healthy food from people isn't very friendly. In fact, it's rude. Some would consider it insensitive. And it creates more stress on state budgets and on the charitable food system, whose backbone is the food banking network. Policy, for whatever reason, that takes food away isn't good policy. It injures It injures friends, families, and the folks who need a friend at this part of their life to walk in. It is said, people will not remember 10% of what you said 10 minutes after you said it, but they will never forget how you make them feel. And giving or limiting food access makes people feel less, not better. But food access makes people feel more. And when you put food first, they feel more and better. And that's why here we will continue to keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.